There's a saying that if God seems far away, who's moved? Y'all, see, y'all seem far away. <laughs> um, I asked Bill this week when I volunteered to speak if there was a message that he felt would be timely for the church. And he suggested very quickly Psalm 56. So I've spent several hours researching and contemplating and praying over Psalm 56. And I pray that God will use these words from this psalm this morning to encourage our hearts and to strengthen our walk and weak knees if we have them and um, to equip our faith to do battle with the struggle in which each of us finds ourselves this morning. We're all in different struggles, perhaps, but we serve the same God. Matthew Henry, in his concise commentary, makes this heartfelt observation on all of the Psalms that I think um, rightly tunes our hearts this morning for receiving from the Lord the message of Psalm 56. And I want to read what he says. Every psalm either points directly to Christ in his person, his character, and offices, or may lead the believer's thoughts to him. And the psalms are the language of the believer's heart, whether mourning for sin, thirsting after God, or rejoicing in him, whether burdened with affliction, struggling with temptation, or triumphing in the hope or enjoyment of deliverance whether admiring the divine perfections, thanking God for his mercies, meditating on his truths, or delighting in his service. They form a divinely appointed standard of experience by which we may judge ourselves. Their value in this view is very great, and the use of them will increase with the growth of the power of true religion in the heart. By the psalmist's expressions, the Spirit helps us to pray. If we make the psalms familiar to us, whatever we have to ask at the throne of grace by way of confession, petition, or thanksgiving, we may be assisted from thence. Whatever devout affection is working in us, holy desire or hope, sorrow or joy, we may find here words to clothe it sound speech which cannot be condemned. In the language of this divine book, the prayers and praises of the church have been offered up to the throne of grace from age to age. With this perspective in mind, let's consider the words of Psalm 56, which is a supplication, a prayer for deliverance and grateful trust in God. It says, Be gracious to me, O God, For man has trampled upon me. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long. For they are many who fight proudly against me. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me all day long they distort my words all their thoughts are against me for evil they attack they lurk they watch my steps as they've waited to take my life 
Because of wickedness, cast them forth in anger. Put down the peoples, O Lord. You have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? Your vows are binding on me, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Indeed, my feet from stumbling so that I may walk before God in the light of the living. When you read a psalm like this, how do you approach it? What's your posture for understanding and receiving the life of Christ from a passage like this? Of course, we have the benefit of history and perspective when we read David's words. But what was he seeing? What was he feeling when he wrote this psalm? Remember that David did not have the benefit of historical hindsight in regards to Christ. He was looking forward to the coming of Christ. He was striving to live a present faith in God that might be pleasing to him. From God, he sought comfort. He sought courage, strength, and deliverance. He trusted God for his very survival. David, of course, did not have the benefit of the four Gospels or of the accounts of the Acts of the Apostles, the accounts of Jesus' life, his ministry, his words of life, the account of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He did not have the benefit of Paul's letters to the churches, nor the writings of Matthew or John Mark or Luke, the physician who traveled with Paul. David did not have the benefit of the account of Jesus' brothers, James and Jude, nor of Peter the rock. Nor did he know of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who was one of the original disciples, who was an eyewitness to the ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who outlived the other disciples and wrote the book of Revelations that we read from, an account of a vision of what is to come while exiled on the Isle of Patmos for his faith. David knew none of this. He did not know that Jesus would be born in his lineage and in his hometown of Bethlehem. We have the benefit of the bigger picture of God's plan for redeeming a people unto himself. We have the plan of God from the beginning in Genesis to the end in Revelations. The Holy Spirit breathed inspired living word of God that we often take for granted. We're blessed to know and understand because of the great cloud of witnesses that have preceded us. And our faith is built upon their faith and the faith of those that came before them. That's the idea behind the hymn, Faith of Our Fathers, Living Faith. The New Testament writers used the Psalms as a book of praise and meditation. They did not take the perspective that now that the promised Messiah has come, that the writings of the Old Testament would be outdated or 
no longer needed or or helpful in following Christ. No, that was not their perspective. Rather, they saw Christ in the Psalms and they saw their own struggle to live for God in difficult circumstances and against great adversity. The early church saw the Psalms not as something to abolish and put aside, but rather as something fulfilled in Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17 through 20, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. We read the Psalms today as fulfilled, accomplished in Christ. Often when we read a Psalm, we see our own struggle, our own difficulty, our own situation. The experience of David in many ways is our experience. His struggle is our struggle. His cry for courage, for strength, for mercy, for deliverance is often our cry. His declaration, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? He opens this portion of the passage, when I am afraid, and he closes it, I shall not be afraid. What happens between that? What makes the difference? Placing our trust in God, in his word that we praise. And what's the result? Transformation. What can mere man do to me? Confidence in God that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. Confidence in God that comes from trust in Him and reliance on His life-giving Word is the result. David's declaration here is that the faith that wells up within us as we look to Christ, David's, let me rephrase that, David's declaration here is the same faith that wells up within us as we look to Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the Word incarnate, the Lord of lords and King of kings, God in whom we put our trust. As John Piper has noted, Christian living means living on the Word of God. We fellowship with Christ by knowing Him in the written Word. We talk to Him on the basis of what we know of Him from the written Word. We hear him speak to us through what he has shown us of his character and his purpose in the written word. Moment by moment, our vital union with Christ experientially is sustained and shaped and carried by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. 
And Psalm 1, the very first Psalm declares, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now Psalm 56 is obviously obviously written in a dark period of uh, David's life. He's been pursued by Saul and he's been seized by the Philistines in Gath. His enemies are pursuing, plotting, and attacking him. He feels like all day long. He says it twice. All day long they're after me. He's feeling the pressure. In 1 Samuel 20 and 21, we see the final breakdown of the relationship between Saul and David. Verse 21, 10, or chapter 21, verse 10 says, Then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. On the way, he stopped at the town of Nob, arriving there without companions, no food, no weapons. Obviously didn't make a lot of plans for this trip. At that moment, he was all alone and could not feel safe anywhere in Israelite territory. Why go to the land of the Philistines? He has history with these people. (laughs) He was hoping to get some supplies and and move along, I suppose, without being recognized, pretending to Ahimelech the priest that he was on a mission commissioned by King Saul himself. He gets a sword, formerly Goliath's, and consecrated bread for his journey. Kind of bold to be carrying that sword around. Alone. Samuel 21, 11-15 records, But the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they dance, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? We see in this verse why King Saul is both jealous and fearful of David. The Philistines see David as the king of the land. Well, David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. So he disguised his sanity before them. I love the description. He disguised his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands. He scribbled on the doors of the gate and he let saliva run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see this man behaving as a madman? Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen? That you brought this one to act the madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? Excuse me. So with this disguising of his sanity, he's able to escape. But no doubt, it's not because of his ruse, but rather because of the grace and mercy of God. If he had to leave Israel, 
he had to exit through Philistia. So he left the peril of his home country for the peril of another. And he was all alone. This is the background of Psalm 56. David is running for his life, pressed on every side by enemies, and at this time all alone. Psalm 56 begins with the words, Be gracious to me, O God, or merciful. This is a great way to begin any prayer. It's a verbal acknowledgement that all one needs is the mercy or the grace of God. Because if God is merciful, if God is gracious towards us, what else do we have need of? Any attack, whether by single foes or the pile-on of the wicked, can be endured if not thwarted because God is gracious. He is merciful. Because of Christ, we can actually say, I thank you, O God, that you are merciful and gracious to me because you gave your son to purchase me, to redeem me, to claim me as your own. I belong to you. What can mere man do to me? What more do we need to find solace, contentment, courage, and perseverance beyond the knowledge that I belong to Christ and God is merciful and gracious to me because I am his? When we know that we know that we know we are his and he is gracious towards us, then no difficulty, no danger, no enemy can cause us to stumble or to wither. The grace and mercy of God in Christ is the substance of our resolve to live for Christ and if need be to die in service and obedience to him. All day long they distort my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They attack, they lurk, they watch my steps as they waited to take my life. Man, that's some serious opposition from evil people that's pressing in on his soul that way. The world is taking opposition to the gospel and actively working to silence Christ-like followers today, I believe, like no other time in our lifetimes. They distort our words, they attack, they lurk, they watch our steps. Our lives for Christ matter. Our witness of the love of Christ matters. Our faithful answer to his call on our lives matters because if we are authentically following him and humbly living to please him, it will be noticed. Somebody's watching. And some will see and be drawn to Christ out of darkness. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, if we shrink back, or if we're in disingenuous in our witness, if we're not authentic, we will be the excuse for their derision. This is not easy stuff. This is the hard work of the gospel. The Christian life is, is a race to be run with endurance. We're to buffet our bodies and an athlete does to compete, to win the prize. Not just to compete, but to win. Our labor in the Lord is often difficult and fraught with danger. Now the Lord calls some to labor in hard places. Some of our brothers and sisters are called to martyrdom. Some are in hard labor today for their faith. 
Some he calls to labor in prayer. Some to proclaim in the marketplace, to shout from the housetops. But all he calls to humble service and courageous faith that he is gracious and merciful both to us and to those that we come in contact with. That's the God we serve. With that in mind, are you in a difficult place today? Does it seem that God does not hear your prayers? That he's indifferent to your questions? I love this quote by C.S. Lewis who once said, I know now, Lord, why you, know, why you utter no answer. You are yourself the answer. Before your face, questions die away. What other answer would suffice? Before your face, questions die away. What other answer would suffice? He is the answer to all. The answer to questions we haven't even thought to ask. Hear the words of David again. You have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. I love that phrase. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. This is the message of Psalm 56 to me, that God is for me. Whether tears for sins committed and forgiven, or those cried in the midst of afflictions and difficulties, God keeps an account. God sees. God knows. He is the God who sees, knows, hears, and understands even before we call on Him. And this I know. God is for me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? What can mere man do to me? God is gracious to me. God is merciful to me. Therefore, I will serve him forever. Your vows are binding upon me, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Indeed, my feet from stumbling so that I may walk before God in the light of the living. What a transformation for David in this psalm. Henry or Matthew Henry noted that vows of thankfulness properly accompany prayers for mercy. Vows of thankfulness properly accompany prayers for mercy. I like that. God delivers us from death by his great mercy. He delivers us from sin, either from the doing of it or by his forgiveness when it's confessed. And in so doing, he delivers us from death, which is the penalty, the wages of sin. He keeps our feet from stumbling if we live in perpetual thankfulness for his mercy and grace. He sets our feet upon the rock. He establishes our way. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He is for us. Charles Spurgeon reflected on Psalm 56 verse 9 when he wrote in this daily reading. I love this. It is impossible for any human speech to express the full meaning of this delightful phrase, God is for me. He was for us before the worlds were made. He was for us 
or he would not have given his well-beloved son. He was for us when he smote the only begotten and laid the full weight of his wrath upon him. He was for us, though he was against him, Christ. He was for us when we were ruined in the fall. He loved us, withstanding all, notwithstanding all. He was for us when we were rebels against him and with a high hand were bidding him defiance. He was for us, or he would not have brought us humbly to seek his face. He has been for us in many struggles. We have been summoned to encounter hosts of dangers. We've been assailed by temptations from without and within. How could we have remained unharmed to this hour if he had not been for us? He is for us with all the infinity of his being, with all the omnipotence of his love, with all the infallibility of his wisdom, arrayed in all his divine attributes, he is for us eternally and immutably for us. For us when yon blue sky shall be rolled up like a worn out vesture for us throughout eternity. And because he is for us, the voice of prayer will always ensure his help. When I cry unto you, then my enemies shall be turned back. This is no uncertain hope, but a well-grounded assurance. This I know. I will direct my prayer unto you and will look up for the answer, assured that it will come and that my enemies shall be defeated. For God is for me. O believer, how happy are you with the King of Kings on your side. How safe with such a protector. How sure your cause pleaded by such an advocate. If God is for you, who can effectually be against you? How empty it is in this life to feel that you're all alone. How defeating to live in fear of a known or unknown enemy. How exhausting to manufacture the appearance of holiness. How much better to live longing to walk before God in the light of the living because we know that he is for us. Framing and clothing each day with thankfulness for his grace and mercy, confirming his vows that are upon us, binding us to him so that we might walk in his light. David sought the Lord for relief from his enemies, but what he found was confidence to walk through adversity when he put his trust in God and in his word. What was to David the psalmist a present and temporal truth to walk before God in the light of the living, to live and not die at the hands of his enemies, is to us followers of Christ a spiritual and eternal truth. Heaven is nigh unto us who believe, and in his presence we will abide forever and walk and work and create and dance and sing a song of gladness. For the Lord is our God, and there is no other. May we walk here as if we were there in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of Christ and the honor and delight of our Father. They are for us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the message of Psalm 56. 
be gracious unto us, Father. Thank you for your mercy and grace that you have bestowed upon us in the person of your Son. I thank you for the fulfillment of Scripture in your Son. I thank you for the power of the Word, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword in our lives if we allow it to discern where we are and where we need to be. God, I thank you for this message that you are for us so much that you gave your only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but rather have everlasting life. I thank you for that gift of the life of the light of Christ that you've bestowed on us. If there's someone here this morning that does not know the light of Christ, I pray, God, that your spirit would speak to them words of life and that you would draw them. For those of us, Lord, that maybe are struggling with areas of sin or struggling with adversity, maybe we feel like the enemy is pressing in. He's like a lion seeking whom he may devour. But he's not a lion. He's just lying. (laughs) I thank you that you are the lion of Judah, Lord Jesus. You are our champion. You are for us. And I thank you that we can cast our cares before you because you care for us. May we walk this week in the light of the knowledge that you are for us. And if you are for us, who can be against us? What can mere man do to us? Give us an eternal perspective this week that brings honor and glory to you. Consume our thoughts with who you are and the faithfulness that you embody. We give you thanks and we give you glory because you deserve it. We honor you, Lord Jesus. You are God and there is no other. And we serve you gladly with thankfulness because of your grace and mercy. In the marvelous, wonderful name of Jesus, we pray together. It is so. Amen. God, you're for us. You are for us. Each one, Lord, that belongs to you, that's called upon your name, you're for us. Through every trial, through every attack, through every failure, through every weakness, Lord, you are for us. Let us remind ourselves of this. You would not have sent Jesus to the earth To become a full flesh and blood man. You would not have died for us if you were not for us. You would not have loved us when we were yet sinners if you were not for us. You would not have promised us such great promises, Lord, in the scriptures if you were not for us. Lord, you would not have invited us to come to your throne in prayer continuously regularly at all times if you were not for us you would not have called us to come to you with thanksgiving in our hearts if you were not for us Lord everything you've done for us is because you are for us Lord we pray that the truth of your word would go that last 18 inches or so Lord from our mind into our soul, Lord. It might be half an inch, who knows? 
it might be the same place. May the truth, Father, of what you have spoken to us in the word be our reality, Lord God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, your, tr- your word is what we trust. In you, we place our hope and our trust, Lord God. We will not be afraid. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And I'd like to say something. Okay. When I think about that phrase, God is for us, I think as a young Christian, I really misunderstood that and thought that somehow the walk of faith and God being for us meant that there were ways to avoid hard things. And maybe sometimes there are. But David is fleeing from his, for his life and he's having to flee to an enemy and then having to flee for his life there and yet God is for him. And I think one of the things that I've especially understood in this time that, that Greg is having such a, a, a difficult journey is that it's all about relationship. It's all about knowing God. And as you hit something, praying and finding how he wants to walk with you through that, what he has in mind for that particular situation. And it doesn't mean there's not going to be another situation right behind it. It just means that it's relationship. He's with us. He's for us. And as we partner with him, there's a way through or it's our time to be with him or our time to grow more so that we better understand the synergy that comes of being with him and in tune with him and walking with him. We're not always delivered out, we're delivered through. Yeah. <clears throat> Pat, there's something that relates to that really going back to the very first verse. Because David was fleeing from Saul, he was he had to lie to get food, and had to had to play the deceiver. He had to, you know, pretend to be crazy. To, I mean, here he is in the town of Gath, which is Goliath's hometown. Yeah, and he's got Goliath's sword. And he's carrying. I recognize Goliath's that sword. sword. Uh, so he has to pretend to be to be crazy, and he and he says, "Where can I find mercy?" I can't find mercy from man. The only place I can turn to to find mercy, to find true mercy, is from God. And you know, I was thinking of that as Randy, you were going through that as well. So I think those things tie tie very closely together. That you know, he realized at this point that that true mercy cannot be found, does not come from man at all, but only comes from God, especially in the hard times. 